0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: Believe. This episode of the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. If you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you need to go today to win money. Whether it's live bets during the games or futures for who you think will win the championship, Bet Online has the latest odds, news, and information for all of your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today, betonline.ag, or use the mobile app device, and join and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your deposit. So, before the next big game, head over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. What up, get Potters? Welcome back to the program. I'm your host, Sky Gawasco. This is another episode of the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast, a.k.a. TCK Pod. This is episode 433. I've got my man Bobby Lamarco joining me once again this evening. We're rolling through the team previews of the AFC South. We have the Titans and the Texans this evening. If you missed our Colts and Jaguars breakdown with James Johnson and my man uh, breaking it down with Jacob Charno on the Colts side, please make sure you dial it back one episode and catch those. We're wrapping up the AFC South tonight. We're getting into the NFC South coming up next week, and we are done with team previews, getting you ready to go for your drafts. Bobby, I'm excited to get into these team previews. It's tough getting into a team like the Texans with not a lot of fantasy relevance, but we're trying to find the nuggets where we possibly can. On the flip side, the Titans are are loaded anyway, and they bring in my man, Julio Jones, so it should be a fun one tonight.
0: You know, it's the best part about the Texans is like we kind of can just say whatever we want, right? Because no one's expecting anything. So any nuggets we give today are good. So, I mean, let's do this. I love this. But before we do that, I want to we are start a new segment. We're going to open up every podcast with a hot question for Sky. Sky, this, this question is going to be brought to you by Bomb Banana Hot Sauce. Seekthespice.com. If you haven't been to Bomb Banana yet and ch- tried out ba- the Bomb Banana hot sauce, guys, I'm super disappointed. Seektheswice.com. banana base, not banana-flavored. Use the promo code TCK to get 10% off. Now, that hot question for you, Sky, is simple. Derrick Henry, consensus 3-4 pick. Are you
1: buying Derrick Henry this year at the 3-4 pick overall? Whew. All right. Buying meaning drafting or buying that he sure. will finish fourth overall? Because in my opinion, those are different questions.
0: Uh, are you drafting him third or fourth overall?
1: I will draft him fourth in half and, and non-PPR. In full PPR, I've got him at five. I've got CMC, Cook, Kamara, my top three, and then I've got Zeke ahead of him in full PPR. In half or in non, I'll give Henry the nod. Here's the deal. He ran for 2,000 yards last year. Vegas has him at 1555 That's significantly lower. If they had him at 17, 18, I'd have a better chance of him maybe repeating 2,000. 500 less yards on the Vegas odds is rough. We know he's not very active in the passing game. I love this offense, and Julio Jones should help Derrick Henry ultimately open the lanes. But the reality is they have another bona fide weapon. I know you love your boy Corey Davis from last year. Corey Davis is not Julio Jones, even at 31 years old. So will I draft Derrick Henry up in the top in the top four of the top five? Yes, if it makes sense. In full PPR, though, I'm probably looking other ways. And honestly, I might even look at my man, Tay Adams, at number five. You guys know I'm sprung on that, so I might even drop him down to six. In half or standard, I'll take him at four, Derrick Henry. Can he finish top four? That one I am more convicted that he may not because, again, if you have the pass-catching opportunities from everybody else, he's going to need that huge workload once again. And I don't think that he's going to need it this year for the Titans, If he's not getting 1,800-plus rushing yards, we know he's not going to get that in the passing game. And if his touchdowns come back down to earth anywhere close to even 12, um, then I don't see him getting top five. So I'm not fading or or hating on Derrick Henry, but top four is really tough for me in in PPR especially. All right, brother. Thank you, man. That was a great, hot question of the day, hot question, whatever we're going to
0: call it at some point. But that's good. That's going to roll us right into the Titans. And if people have been watching the team previews with me, I'll give you like a quick breakdown of where these guys are going. So first off, let's talk about some of the highlights from the Texans. Of course, they promoted their tight ends coach, Todd Downing, to offensive coordinator. Todd Downing, the former OC for the Raiders for a season. Now, this offensive line is pretty good continuity. They do have four or five guys returning this year, but they did lose Dennis Kelly, their right tackle. Also, their first-round pick from a couple years ago, was an absolute disaster, and he got cut. So there, there is one hole on that offensive line that did draft a player in the NFL draft. Dylan Reduce. I don't even know if that's correct, but it might be. Um, always bad with the names. And then the skill positions. Obviously, the moving parts resulting in a lot of available targets. For example, Corey Davis, John Smith, out the door. Insert Julio Jones and Josh Reynolds. As for the drafted players, it's really the only guy that I would say is notable as Des Fitzpatrick for Dynasty maybe, but because of Julio Jones, it sounds like that's pretty much a wrap in the receiving core along with A.J. Brown. So, of the moves so far, Sky, are you? what do you think about the Todd Downing promotion, some of the movements with the skill position players, anything stand out to you, maybe even on the offensive line?
1: Yeah, the Todd Downing promotion makes sense. Yeah. Um... Julio Jones coming over obviously is huge. You just got to stay healthy. That speaks for itself. The tight end position is going to be interesting. I know you love your man, Anthony Furcher. I'm excited to hear about that right now. But John Smith leaving, Corey Davis leaving, even Adam Humphreys leaving, uh, I know opens up a ton of vacated targets. I'm sure you'll get into that. Um, it really just comes down to are they going to have the same offense that has been arguably the most efficient uh, and surprisingly prolific Uh, when you think of the Titans, you just think of like smash mouth with Derrick Henry. It's not necessarily Ryan Tannehill, extremely efficient, AJ Brown, incredibly efficient himself also. And now they bring in an all pro hall of famer in Julio Jones. If he can stay healthy, they should be just fine. We'll see what happens this year. I don't, you know, the big question is, can they hang with the chiefs and the bills? I think they can, if they play Titans ball, if they have to play bills or chiefs football in a playoff game, I don't think the Titans defense has enough, but we're talking fantasy today.
0: Yeah, and it's key, too, because they did have some movement in the secondary as well. Dory Jackson didn't play a lot last year, but he's gone. They replaced Malcolm Butler with Janoris Jenkins. I don't really know. They also drafted Caleb Farley in the first round. So that could be something. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes, but that'll be interesting for this division as well. But let's talk about the first guy. It's Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill last year, 25.2 points per game, finishes the QB 11 and 6-point-per-passing touchdown leagues. Currently, there's some optimism. Expert consensus ranking is ninth for QBs. ADP is eleventh, and he's going 93rd overall in that eight-nine range. So, when I looked at Ryan Tannehill and I was doing my research, something something stood out. <laughs> so, Ryan Tannehill, for example, finished as the QB 11. Okay, that's two points better than number 12, which was Kirk Cousins. He was closer to the QB six, which is Deshaun Watson, than he was the QB 12. There is a legit gap between Ryan. He might have been QB eleven, but he was closer to QB six than he was QB twelve. Now let's take it a step further. What about Ben Roethlisberger? Ben Roethlisberger last year somehow was a QB thirteen in six point per passing touchdown leagues, point three points less than Ryan Tannehill. That is, he was closer to Big uh, to Russell Wilson at QB five on a points per game basis than he was the QB thirteen. So this isn't a normal QB eleven. So Ryan Tannehill is a difference maker. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. 3.3 points per game to the QB 13 is huge. And that makes him closer to the mid-range guys than anything else. So I think he is a difference maker. But some of the things that you need to think about with Todd Downing. Todd Downing, his lone season for the OC position with the Raiders. He actually had 592 dropbacks that year. The last two seasons, the the Titans have averaged 50, 534. So that's about a sixty-plus dropback increase potentially if Todd Downing sticks to the kind of play-calling style he did with Oakland last season. Ryan Tannehill fourth in the NFL in fantasy points per dropback. That was twenty. His percentage was twenty percent higher than the QB twelve. So he's an elite scorer on a per dropback basis. He's also thirteenth in the NFL in rushing yards and fifth in rushing touchdowns with seven. However, that should come down a little bit because seven was an outlier year for him. But overall, because I see that top four points per dropback, and we could project potentially 60 more dropbacks based on Todd Downing's play calling style, we're talking some exciting numbers for Ryan Tannehill. But more importantly, I think because of his draft cost today going at ADP QB 11, you're getting him in a safe place in that ninth round. So you can draft all your running backs, all your receivers. Get your. You can even have backups on your bench and then draft Ryan Tannehill in the ninth round. And you might have someone who could potentially see more volume and maybe even go from QB 11 last year to probably QB 6, for example.
1: Yeah, two years ago, he was the quarterback 7. And again, the efficiency is, is unbelievable. And if they can continue to work off the play action, which as long as Derrick Henry's healthy, they will be able to. And again, you know, as a defense, it, it seems so simplistic, but it really comes down to if you're a defensive coordinator, go and play, you know, uh, pre it against the Titans, you either stack the box against Derrick Henry, which we know doesn't work anyway, or you play, you know, cover two or whatever, and you have two incredible all-pro wide receivers and, you know, a decent tight end over the middle as well. Uh, and Josh Reynolds playing at number three, who I've been a fan of for a long time, who was buried in the depth chart and uh, with the Rams. So it's like, pick your poison with this team. And Ryan Tannehill can just, you know, pluck all day long off the play action or feed it to Derrick Henry. And let's not forget, we saw it on national TV last year in the snow in Lambeau Field. Ryan Tannehill snuck away for about a 70 plus yard touchdown run as well. He's kind of sneaky athletic there with uh, on the ground as well. So Ryan Tannehill, Matt Stafford are my two favorite, you know, pass on the big six, eight, whoever you deem the very top of quarterbacks. Once you get past that realm and you're in the you know 7th, 8th, 10th, 12th round, depending on your uh, league settings and formatting, Ryan Tannehill and, and Matt Stafford are absolutely my you know late-round, quote-unquote, the beginning of the late-round quarterbacks. And I'm absolutely thrilled to have three running backs, three wide receivers, maybe a stud tight end, um, and then one of those quarterbacks. I feel absolutely great about my starting roster.
0: More man, but let's talk about the the real engine of this offense, which is Derrick Henry. You just kind of talked a little bit about his value, still probably consistent top five ADP, no matter what format. I know a lot of people are a little worried about Derrick Henry in the sense of his workloads and his efficiency and all that stuff. But four of a five offensive line starters returning is a good news for him. Uh, but Derrick Henry last year, twenty point four points per game was the RB four, and it wasn't even close. Expert Consensus has him at three, ADP has him at four, and overall he's pick four. Let's play a quick game, Sky, called how many many yards and touchdowns can Derrick Henry lose and still be the RB4? Okay, so Derrick Henry could lose 500 yards and he would still finish last year as the RB4. Derrick Henry could technically lose nine touchdowns last year and still be the RB4. That's how ridiculous this guy was, but he also was 3.6 more points per game in half point PPR than Chubb and Jones last year. So right there tells you that Derrick Henry is not, it's not a close gap between him and it's like CMC, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry, everybody else. Like that's how it was last year. So when you really look into the numbers, you can't even look at RB4 versus RB5 because it's such a big gap that even if he loses all those – you just talked about the Vegas 1,500 yards. If he loses 500 yards and keeps relatively the same touchdown rate or touchdowns, he's still looking at an RB4 season. I'm going to explain why. His career points off touchdowns was 33%. Last year was only 31%. So right there, he was right on career average. It wasn't even outlier season. His touches just went through the roof. On a per-touch basis, he averages career, 4.7 touchdowns for every touch. Last year was 4.5. So even when you look at the numbers, they were not out of line with Derrick Henry's career. So I looked at, let's say, for example, let's say he comes way down on his touches. Let's say he gets to 303. That's what he did in 15 games in 2019. So I just said, you know what? Let's get crazy. Let's say it was 16 games. If you take all his career efficiencies, he would have 1,460 yards and 14 touchdowns. That would result in 251 fantasy points last year. That would have been the RB4. So, like, when you look at the numbers and understand Derrick Henry, do not overthink it. I think he's consensus, the number three overall pick in half point and full and, and standard. I think he's consensus probably. I wouldn't even say four in full point. Kamara, I know you're big on, but at the same time, who knows with those quarterbacks, if he's going to see the same level of PPR upside. So that's why I'm buying Derrick Henry, and that's his breakdown. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, there's no reason not to buy Derrick Henry. I just, again, I would rather have – I would rather have another running back in full PPR is all that all that it comes down to and you and I talk about this a lot on the show we try to diversify the best that we can you generally speak and research in a half PPR mindset i speak and research in a full PPR mindset and those of you that play those of you that play standard league still or non PPR draft eric henry 101 as far as i'm concerned but in the other formats in PPR especially there's just other options there but to your point to the you know to you Bobby who's saying he doesn't need to catch the passes he's got the workload I'm you know week 17 last year at Houston when nobody was playing fantasy football anymore 35 PPR fantasy points guess how many targets he had that week Bobby one <laughs> zero <laughs> zero targets 34 carries 250 yards and two touchdowns not a single target over his final two games. Uh, not a, let's see, he had three targets total over his final five games. Absolutely dominated. Um, Derrick Henry's the man. I, I'm not worried about him in particular. It's going to be with Arthur Smith leaving, going to Atlanta. Are they going to have the same offense with Todd Ta- Downing? Are they going to still run through Derrick Henry with Julio Jones there, assuming he's healthy and will the efficiency still be there, uh, with the Titans is all it is. What will not change for Derrick Henry this season, at least Houston Jacksonville And the Colts' defensive line is pretty good. But Houston and Jacksonville, he gets to play four games this year. We know that he absolutely rips up both of them. Last year, two games against Houston, 212 rushing yards, 250 rushing yards against Jacksonville, 84 in game one and 215 in game two. So those four games alone could put him in the top ten, and then we could potentially look at the rest of the game. So love Derrick Henry, but if I'm in full PPR, I've got CMC, Cook, and Kamara. And then I personally am going to take Zeke and I'm going to consider even taking uh, Devonte Adams at number five, potentially, which then pushes Derrick Henry to number six in full PPR.
0: All right. Fair enough. Let's talk about the next guy, AJ Brown. I, I kind of had, a, I have, I'm starting to have a little soft spot for AJ Brown. I think he's everyone's favorite receiver. He was all the hype. And then Julio Jones gets signed. Now everyone's like, well, he's maybe not that good. It's like, no, this guy's really good. Like yeah. he's insanely good. So I I've written about, um, the opportunity analysis, I talk about that a lot and all the vacated and new available targets in my analysis. But let's break down A.J. Brown last year. So first off, 14.9 points per game was the wide receiver 5 last year. Uh, but today he's going expert consensus 8, ADP 8, and then overall 24. So he's fallen behind his ADP. And, you know, we're all we keep talking about is potentially more pass volume, you know, but that's not going to help A.J. Brown. But here's another reason why you should love A.J. Brown at still at wide receiver 5. There is 281 new available targets in this offense based on my analysis. That is number two in my metric. That is insane. Okay, that means Julio Jones could walk it into a buck 50 if he wanted to. And there's still 130 more targets available for everybody else on this team. You know, so I think, yes, I like Firk, I think he's going to get a couple more targets, but he's not going to get 100 more targets. I can get 75 more targets. He's probably going to get 25 to 30 more. And even AJ Brown. He doesn't need that many more targets because he finishes the wide receiver five last year. Like this is insane. So let's look at this per. Uh, so after week four, when he returned from his injury or he got sick, I think a COVID or something, something happened early on. The season, awful, I can't remember average 15.5 points per game. That was clearly the wide receiver four over that stretch. So 15.5 is elite. That's just behind Stefan Diggs last year over that time frame. Now, the other thing I look at too, is, you know how they in PFF they do fantasy points per dropback for quarterbacks. Well, I kind of do it for receivers because I want to understand how much points they generate on a team. It gives you a better understanding of a of a player and how efficient they are on a per dropback basis. Last year he was second. He averaged a fantasy point, is 44% of his points versus dropback. So that is only behind Devontae Adams. That is insane amount of production. So if, for example, I just talked about Todd Downing, 592 dropbacks, his as offensive coordinator, if we apply that to AJ Brown based on his percentage of producing fantasy points to drop back, he jumps to 265 points. That would have been 0.1 ahead of Stefan Diggs for the wide receiver three. That's what we're talking about here with his efficiency and the potential increase. Now, new OC tied down, and we've talked about this. Another great thing about Julio the 2017 season, Mari Cooper, Michael, Michael Crabtree were the two guys featured in that offense. They actually both ended up getting hurt at some point throughout the year, so they didn't play a lot of games together. But when they were both healthy, they averaged 7.8 targets per game together. Last year, A.J. Brown averaged 7.5. So when you even show that Amari Cooper and, and Crabtree were neck and neck with targets, and let's say Julio does the same thing, it's still higher than what he got last year. So when you look at all this information, it's telling you that A.J. Brown is probably going to see closer to 125, 130 targets this year. And based on his efficiency, he has top three upside. He's not going to touch Tyreek Hill 19 points per game because that's absurd. But they, those two guys, especially Hill and Adams, could see a drop in their efficiency in touchdowns, which could get them normalized. But overall, he's my number five receiver. I think he's a lock rock solid pick at the back of the second round.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Um we just talked about week 17 with Derrick Henry against the Texans and that he just ran for 250 yards. On them in the final week of the season. AJ Brown had 151 receiving yards in that game, 10 catches and a touchdown. So the idea that Derrick Henry and AJ Brown can't coexist obviously is false with the Titans. You're gonna get into Julio in a second, so I'll kind of wait for that take. But that's gonna be interesting here. I look to my man Mike Taglier, friend of the show, and he does he you do your opportunity analysis. Tags also does his own. What he does is basically like everywhere on the football field has a certain value to fantasy football, Mm -hmm. Uh, a catch or a carry on the six yard line is much more valuable than a catch or carry on the 46 yard line, obviously. So tags breaks all of that down based on his data last year, the efficiency for AJ Brown is insane. And I'm not saying it will regress necessarily because it hasn't in the two years that he's done this, but this is how insane it was based on tags. Research. Mike Tagliere, Fantasy Pros, if you're unaware. Based on Tag's research, A.J. Brown was supposed to finish as the wide receiver 30 last year. He finished as wide receiver 12 in this metric. The year before that, he was supposed to finish as wide receiver 49 with the targets and the receptions and yardage that he had, but the efficiency boosted him up to wide receiver 15. So his efficiency is absolutely unbelievable, no reason to think it can't continue because this entire offense has broken all those metrics, but if they come back down to earth, Bobby, and you just made a great case why he will stay at the top, I don't disagree with you necessarily, but if any of this levels off with Julio Jones or more Derrick Henry or the offense sputters for some reason or whatever, then I think that's going to be a big collapse for him because he's been behind a great amount of touchdowns as well. So I also have him as a top eight wide receiver. Um, ceiling, I think, is top three. I agree with you. But if anything falls off track, he could be top 12 and, or you know a, a 12th, 15th receiver if the efficiency falls off a little bit. Because of that, I have somebody like DK Metcalf, who I know is not as popular as AJ Brown, but I just don't believe in Tyler Lockett. You and I have gone over this constantly, uh, in that offense. So yeah. I'm gonna take i am I'm gonna take DK Metcalf over AJ Brown. Um, but a guy like Justin Jefferson, I would put behind AJ Brown, and then of course the big four. Uh, or the big three, yeah, big four, I should say, with Adams, Hopkins, um, Diggs, and Hill, I will take ahead of DK and then Brown. So Brown's my sixth, but I definitely see the upside of what you're talking about. All right, and I understand that. So when you're looking at the potential
0: for the two receivers, the next guy's Julio Jones. This guy is, doesn't have a lot of practice being a second receiver because this guy was legitimately dominant throughout his career. So it'll be interesting to see how Julio handles this transition um, I think Julio Jones. Of course, I don't. You don't have to sit here and tell you how good this guy is. So if you look at his numbers last year, 13.4 points per game, finished as the wide receiver 13 in points per game. So still elite production even when he's on the field. He also had a couple of weird games in there too. So it could even be higher. 17 in ECR, expert consensus ranking, 21st in ADP for wide receivers, and he's going at 48 overall. So let's talk a little bit about my breakdown for Julio. It starts. We have to start where Corey Davis was getting targets. His 16-game pace, Corey Davis, last year was 105 targets because of the offense. Not too much volume. There is room for growth here, but I'm just taking a look at if he just fills in the Corey Davis role. Corey Davis was good last year, everybody. I know Julio's better, but he was he was still very he was still very good. So on the 105 targets, if you just take Julio's career catch percentage, you take his yards per target and his touchdown rate, he would add 166 fantasy points on the 105 targets. That would have been wide receiver 26 last year. Now, if we look at the additional dropback potential with Todd Downing, if we add all the extra dropbacks in, he jumps to 185.5 points. That would have been wide receiver 20 last year. So it's ADP is wide receiver 21. Now, this offense, would I'm expecting a little bit more volume. And Julio, of course, of course Julio Jones can command a little more targets than Corey Davis. But just something to keep in mind to understand his ceiling. And I think his ADP is perfect. I actually like his ADP. I'm buying him at ADP 21. But I just talked a little bit about the pace that Corey Davis was on. If they do get the additional dropbacks, we're still looking at wide receiver 20 based on the fact that he's not going to be a threat for 150, 130 targets probably in this offense. So that's kind of why I am buying Julio Jones at his ADP but I am not reaching him over guys. I like Tyler Lockett. You don't. I like Adam Thielen over him. I also like guys like Cooper Cup, Mari Cooper in those ranges. Mike Mike Evans, for example, I would take over Julio. So based on his slip, he actually slipped. He was actually in the beginning of the fourth. Now he's going to the back of the fourth. I'm now buying Julio Jones, especially at his current ADP.
1: What's your thoughts on Julio? Oh man, I can't quit Julio Jones. Julio Jones is probably my favorite active uh player right now he is um obviously phenomenal we don't need to talk about his history he's been incredible but I will say a couple misconceptions of Julio Jones you know the like people are people are talking like he's at the end of his he is heading toward the end of his career obviously he's over 30 years old but he's not done yet and if he can stay healthy which I know has been a challenge for Julio if he can stay healthy he's going to be just fine First of all, he has played at least 14 games in seven of the last nine seasons, so he's not, quote-unquote, injury-prone. He does play through a lot of injuries because he plays kind of a reckless style of ball, but he plays through them at least, and we know that Julio Jones has played three-quarters of a ton of games over the last decade and still produced absolutely elite numbers. If you were to stay healthy for a full season, he's going to blow the doors off of his perception this year. He had... At least 1,394 yards. So basically at least 1,400 yards in six of the last seven seasons. Last year, of course, he lost a few games due to injury. Last year also, he had a career high in yards per target at 11.3. So Julio Jones is not done, first of all. And I think the Titans got an absolute steal in this, first of all. He's going as the ECR expert consensus ranking has a bit wide receiver 19 in PPR. I have him at 13, and I know this could could if he plays 10 games, I know this is gonna burn me. I hope he stays healthy, and I'm projecting that he does stay healthy because I don't project injuries. And honestly, <laughs> I have a t- I mean I want him in my top 12 out of respect, and I can't put him over a guy like Terry McLaurin, Cd Lamb, Justin Jefferson, Allen Robinson. But I do have him, Bobby, and this is where you and I I think you and I disagree on Julio Jones more than maybe any other player that we've covered together so far. And it's not like we disagree on the player. We obviously both love Julio, but it's the situations. I don't see the gap between A.J. Brown and Julio Jones this year. I don't see it as exponential as the industry does with A.J. Brown, essentially wide receiver five and Julio at wide receiver 19. I don't see that. I see A.J. Brown about seven and Julio at about 13. So I've closed the gap quite a bit. I've got him over Mike Evans, Amari Cooper, Robert Woods, Deontay Johnson, Adam Thielen, Cooper Cup, yada, yada at number 13. So I think the touchdowns will be there. The efficiency will be there. I think that he, you just mentioned that he's got, I mean, he could have 120 targets easy in this offense and there's still room to grow. You can give him 140 targets, whatever. So I do think that um, if he can stay healthy and I know it's a big if with Julio Jones with, you know, 14 games on his plate out of 17, I think that he could get that in. And if he does, I think he's going to be a top end wide receiver two minimum, and maybe a back-end wide receiver one if one of these top guys falls. The only knock on Julio Jones for his entire career, aside from hiccups with injury, which I just mentioned, he's at least played the majority of his games in his career, is he doesn't have the touchdown upside. That might change in this offense because of the upside A and the scoring proficiency and the efficiency overall. But, you know, you got to double-cover somebody. And when they double-cover, stack the box with Derrick Henry and then put an extra safety over on A.J. Brown, Julio Jones should be wide open. And at this point of their careers, I trust Ryan Tannehill more than Matt Ryan to find Julio Jones in the uh, end zone. And what was frustrating in studying Julio Jones over the years is Matt Ryan literally would say, I don't target Julio Jones in the end zone because he's triple covered. You know, it it drives us fantasy people nuts that he doesn't have five touchdowns a game because he should like Calvin Johnson used to, but if he is triple covered, they got to go somewhere else. So Matt Ryan used to go somewhere else. Ryan Tannehill, I think, because of Derrick Henry, because of A.J. Brown, has those other weapons. Julio Jones is going to see single coverage. When he does, it's a jump ball. And if you remember that Patriots game in the fog when he literally ripped the ball out of the hands for the touchdown, Julio's got a chip on his shoulder. He's never been doubted in his entire career. It's happening this year, and I think I expect a big season from him outside of injury. Obviously, I'm probably the highest on Julio Jones in the entire fantasy community.
0: All right, listen, man. You know what? I'll give you that one that's fine because I'm gonna talk about the guy I'm high on. That's Anthony Ferks, sir. Who? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Man, I love it. So Anthony Ferks is an interesting character. We talked a little bit about him on a previous guest spot. I kind of view him as a poor man's Mark Andrews. So the the thing comes out, the Titans are unofficial depth chart, and he's number two behind Go- Jeff Swain, golf Swain, whatever. I keep forgetting which one it is, but anyway. The point is, I kind of view him as a poor man in Mark Andrews because Swam is probably going to be the blocker like Nick Boyle was. People don't remember, last year, Mark Andrews got off to a slower start because Nick Boyle was on the field more because he's a better blocker. I kind of view it the same situation here, low pass volume offense. But the biggest difference is they don't have a pass catcher to go along with Anthony Ferguson like Jonu Smith last year. The Titans, as a team last season, were third in the NFL in producing fantasy points from the tight end position. At 13.9. The reason why it lo- it's so high, but there was no real dominant guy. Yes, John, was good, but he was very touchdown dependent. Because they had two guys splitting work. Essentially, he's 55-45 on the target perspective. John, who just got all the touchdowns. Ferkser had one touchdown last year on the season. So, right there is the problem. If you combine their stats, Johnny Smith, Anthony Ferkser, 80 receptions, 835 yards, nine touchdowns. Okay? That's 11 points per game in halfway PPR. That's the tight end forward fantasy on points per game basis last year, right behind George Kettle. Now, the guys replacing John Swain and Luke Stocker have a career highs of 32 targets and 27 targets. Them combined is not higher than the 65 targets John Smith has last year. The one game that John Smith missed last year, first had five catches for 55 yards. Right there is a nice-looking baseline. Double digits in PPR, that's about eight points in in half-point PPR. And I know eight points isn't sexy, but eight points from a tight end, people don't realize how hard it is to predict tight ends, but if you get roughly eight points on a consistent basis, that's a godsend. He also led the, the team in pretty much every slot usage metric routes, targets, receptions, yards last year. So he got his great utilization in the slot, which also allows them to play two tight end sets. If he's taking more on slot, you keep Goff Swain in line. So I think Anthony Fergster to me is someone that I'm going to continue to monitor. Am I pulling the trigger on Fergster a lot yet? No. But at the same time, He's someone I just keep watching for reports. He's someone I have my eye on. He's making a lot of big plays, especially in the middle of the field. And the other thing, too, is I know Josh Reynolds is your boy, but he's not a true slot receiver. They don't really have a true slot receiver on this team, so it could open up more opportunities for Swin- uh, for Ferguson to continue that role in 2021.
1: The biggest argument you got going for you is the opportunity, and that's really what happened with Mark Andrews when he came on. Remember, you know – uh Mark Andrews was the second tight end there with the Ravens um, for quite a while. And he just was able to blossom and took care of opportunity and got more work. Boom. He was the head guy there again with Julio coming in the opportunities there with the target vacancies. Um, but I still, I just don't see a world at all where I'm drafting Anthony Furkshire. but I will say he is a name that I'm absolutely monitoring over the first five or six games of the season at, you know, there's always tight ends. We mentioned this on, I feel like every other episode, the late round tight ends that nobody pays attention to this time of year and they spring up. And all of a sudden you have a Robert Tunyon, right? All of a sudden you have a Logan Thomas and you have, you know, uh Hawkinson and Andrews from the years past Darren Waller and so forth. Ferkser could be one of those guys because of the opportunity also, I love the schedule to start the season. Arizona should be a shootout at Seattle should be a shootout. Indianapolis should be a shootout in division. You never know. At the Jets, Jacksonville should be a shootout, and in Buffalo, they're and Kansas City, back to back, they're going to have to throw to catch up. I love that, and I, I will pay attention to what Ferker's got going on in the first half of the season. My concern here is going to be: we know that with tight ends, if you're not Darren Waller or you know uh, one of these other guys that springs up, usually the late round tight ends are are ex- you know exploding because of touchdown upside. I don't see that happening with Furkshire. A couple reasons. He's, pre- he's short for a tight end, which I don't think is a huge deal. Most tight ends zone in the NFL, 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", he's 6'2". Still a, a big man, but in NFL terms, 6'2", yeah. 250 is not huge for a tight end. He also has just three touchdowns on 97 targets in his career. So that worries me a little bit. Again, I think that they're going to look at Julio Jones and A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry first. So being the fourth look, pretty much inside the red zone, hurts Anthony Fergster, but again, I don't, I don't like the stab for somebody to pay attention to. I don't see a world where you're taking him unless he's a dynasty stash on a deep roster. Okay, fair enough. I do have him buried down here. I was just looking at my rankings, and I've got him in roughly the Blake Jarwin, Irv Smith, you know, Cole Komet range. So probably like 17 to 20. Ish. And look, he is getting some hype in the uh, preseason and, and in camp and stuff. He's getting a lot of work and quick drills. That's probably, be, you know, Julio Jones isn't out there, Um, but yeah. that is boding well for the relationship. And again, John who's gone. So we'll see what happens there.
0: Yeah. And just, and like I touched on too, sorry, before you go on, it's just like, these are, we're, when we talk about these guys, so I apologize. I misspoke five for 51. My apologies. And seven targets in that game. Like, the thing is, when you see the – op, this is the Tyler Higby conversation, like G- Gerald Everett's gone. It's a completely different world now. The tight end position is a little different. So I'm just saying, just look at the preseason games. Watch how it goes. Like Once that Ryan Tannehill's in there, they might play maybe one game or two games at the most in the preseason. But watch those games. See if Ferkshire's in there for a decent amount of snaps and see if he's getting some looks. So my thing is, like, the tight end situation after the tight end six is all up for grabs at this point. You basically have to s- flag plant your guys, but – just keep an eye on it. Follow him on Twitter, yada, yada, but. Let's let's get let's move on. We have spent enough time with Anthony Ferguson.
1: <laughs> I will say though, man, all summer you've been repping Anthony Ferguson, so we had to give you, uh, you know, you were yeah. contracted for your six minutes mm-hmm. of Anthony Ferguson time. So congratulations there. All right, before we move on to the Houston Texans, and I know we've buried the lead on the podcast long enough. Our listeners are like, guys, just get to the Titans, please. Let's hear about the Texans. I know, folks, we appreciate you sticking with us. We'll get to the Texans eventually, but before we do that, I got to give a shout out to the Jersey Jungle. I just got word today, ladies and gentlemen, I have been repping the fact that I have a handful of jerseys in the mail on the way. I just got a heads up today that they should be here by the end of the week, and I'll probably do an unboxing this weekend for you once I get them. If you're unfamiliar somehow and you've been listening to this podcast, you know about the Jersey Jungle. The Jersey Jungle has authentic jerseys from all sports, all sports teams, all sports, home, away, retro, throwbacks, camo, if you like that style. They have custom jerseys available if you're a part of a uh, softball team. I've been finishing up my softball leagues. You can do a softball team. I have a great friend of ours, listener of the show in the U.K., and she plays American football in the UK, and she had a custom jersey made for herself from the Jersey Jungle. Your own name, your own number, whatever it is, they can do customs as well. DM them on Instagram at the Jersey Jungle. Make sure at the checkout you use the promo code TCK for 10% off of one or two jerseys. I just recommend you get three plus, though 15% off of three plus jerseys. I put in an order, spoiler alert, a couple football a couple baseball. Again, I'll let you know who those players are when I get them. Summer throwbacks. I got a Hall of Famer in there, maybe one or two. I got some upstart ballers in both sports. I got some of my fantasy studs. Very excited about this, but I had to go more than three because the more you buy, the cheaper it gets. NFL.com has 120 to $30 on jerseys. Jersey Jungle has 60 to $65, 55 for baseball, 60 for the NFL. Go get yourself an authentic Stitch and Twill jersey at the Jersey Jungle on Instagram, promo code TCK. All right, Bobby, classic question. It's been a while since you and I have done a team preview, so I am curious about your stance currently on these two teams and what you're thinking about for the jerseys. So if you're looking at the Titans, you're looking at the Texans, there's a lot of options here for fantasy football. There's also some throwbacks. If you're on YouTube and you're looking behind me here, I got my man Earl Campbell, Hall of Famer, incredible running back. They got throwbacks as well. I got Mark Brunel over my over their shoulder, lefty from Dub up north in Washington. What jersey are you looking for, Bobby? Football related for the Texans or the Titans?
0: My favorite fantasy player of all time is Arian Foster. Love <laughs> Arian Foster. Um, he would be a slam dunk current.
1: It's Anthony Ferkser, so I don't even know why we're having this conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's, that seemed that seemed but, obvious.
0: Yeah, let's let's get to the Texans, man. You know, Sky did some research for us. I'm excited. I'm going to jump into the host seat right now, and I'm going to oh work Sky up a little bit, and get him oh going. Boy. So, so David Culley comes over, the new head coach from the Ravens. Kind of a weird name. No one really looked at him as a guy. He was the passing game coordinator for the Ravens, which I feel like. Nothing better right there. But they retained their offensive coordinator, Tim Kelly, which I think is pretty interesting. He did show some good things with Deshaun Watson last season. The offensive line, a little bit of shakeups. They did lose two of their starters last year. They brought over Justin Britt, who actually didn't play last year. So the interior is somewhat of a change, but the tackles are pretty solid for them overall. They have done the weirdest acquiring of players you'll ever see. Tyrod Taylor, Mark Ingram, Miffy Rex Burkhead, Chris Connolly, Anthony Miller via trade drafted, Nico Collins, Davis Mills, and Brevden Jordan. Now this kind of feels like the Island of Misfit Toys. Um, Deshaun Watson, we're not, probably not going to play, probably going to be Tyrod Taylor, potentially Davis Mills halfway through the season based on how things are rolling. So Sky, anything that stands out to you overall from the Texans standpoint?
1: Oh boy. Yeah. I spent, I feel like I spent two hours that I shouldn't have for the Houston Texans. Um, I got, one of my best friends here in, in Eugene is a huge Houston Texans fan because of Arian Foster back mm-hmm. in the day, and I know that he wants to hear all this uh, information here, but i got to be honest, Bobby, it was tough digging for positive things to say in fantasy football. No disrespect to the players, obviously. You know how we roll around here, but it was tough. I mean, here, here's the deal. It comes down to Deshaun Watson. I don't think he's going to play at this point either. Earlier in the summer, I was confident even that he would play. At this point, I just don't see it. I, I also you know, help Ryan Leaf, former NFL quarterback, of course, on his show, the RDL show. And we've had some ESPN insiders and stuff come on his show and talk about the legal ramifications of Deshaun Watson, specifically throughout the summer, dating back to April. And early on, it was like definitely not suspended. And then it was kind of like, yeah, maybe I think they'll let him play. But now it's like, okay, now the NFL might suspend him, even if he gets away. It just It's so unknown. And if Deshaun Watson doesn't play, I'm staying away from this team almost completely for fantasy football. If he plays somehow, even if he's suspended halfway through the season, maybe I'll look at waivers or a late-round trade or something like that. But unfortunately, it all hinders on Deshaun Watson, obviously. Quick talks about Deshaun, and then we'll move on. I don't want to spend too much time on this here. Still under the investigation for the 22 counts of illegal, um, or alleged, I should say, sexual assault. If you have not been paying attention and it's August and you're finally coming back to fantasy football and you don't pay attention all year like we do, not a big deal. That's why we're here for you. Deshaun Watson has been in hot water since draft day, unfortunately. Um, He's at camp so that he doesn't get fined. Literally, he shows up so that he doesn't get fined by the team, but he's not participating, which means he doesn't plan to play. The team's not having him plan to play. He's actively mentioning that he wants out of Houston. He doesn't want to play for the franchise anymore. The franchise won't trade him because he's too valuable to the franchise, right? Um, The NFL may still suspend him, as I mentioned. Deshaun Watson has been incredible the last three seasons as a player on the field, as we know. QB4, QB4, QB5 in the last three seasons, respectively. Uh, You know, if he's cleared by draft day, then enjoy the value because he's plummeting to like the 10th, 12th, 15th round because people are taking flyers, but he's not there but I would not draft him at all in redraft leagues. If you want to quote unquote, buy low on him in dynasty, be my guest, but I'm not going to tell you to do that because who knows if he's ever going to play again. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, But he also might leave it leave the team and be, sit out this year and leave the team and go somewhere else and blossom. Who knows? He's still a great player. Still young. I digress. Let's move on to Terod Taylor. This one is a bummer. I've rooted for Terod Taylor for years. Last year, of course he gets injured and then he gets the, uh you know, punctured uh, lung to, to rod gate right where he gets <laughs> yeah. stabbed by his own doctor yeah. team doctor and unfortunately so he misses the season my man justin herbert which i'm so grateful that herbie got a chance unfortunately at the expense of trot taylor justin herbert steps in lights the league on fire rookie of the year breaks all the records the rest is history now he moves on to houston and gets a chance because deshaun watson's out but if watson comes back Troy taylor's out of a job again two years ago baker mayfield Right. Tarot Taylor goes down, Baker Mayfield, is a rookie, comes in rookie of the year, breaks all the record, yada, yada. So we'll see what happens with Davis Mills this year. A lot of concerns happened for me and Tarot Taylor. And look, this is like super flex two QB max that you're looking at, uh, you know, a late round um, flyer on Tarot Taylor. First of all, they only brought him in for one year, twelve and a half million dollars, twelve and a half million dollars to a guy like Bobby and I would change our lives forever. And the rest of our family lineage for decades to an NFL quarterback. That's scratch, all right? That's nothing. They don't count on him for next year. He won't be on the team next year. They don't even count on him for this year necessarily. Unfortunately, he last played full-ish seasons. I say that because he only played 14, 15 games in these last couple years. 2015, 16, and 17. 18, 19, and 20, he played less than six games. Or eight games, excuse me. He was QB 15 in 2015, uh, QB 9 in 2016, and QB 16 in 2017. So those are respectable QB two numbers with QB one upside. Here's the problem. His career highs. So that was what four to six years ago. The NFL has changed to a passing heavy league. As we know his career highs of his entire career, 3,035 passing yards last year. That would have been 19th in the NFL. 20 passing touchdowns is his career high on a season would have been tied for 19th with Jared Goff last year. 63.7% completion percentage, career high. Last year would have been 30th in the NFL between Tuatunga-Vailoa and Baker Mayfield in 2020. Now he does average a rushing floor, which is nice for quarterbacks. He averages about 525 rushing yards over those three seasons, as I mentioned, and five touchdowns, solid. Uh, That would have been fourth among quarterback rushing yards last year behind only Lamar, Kyler, and Cam. He's not going to be Lamar Jackson. He's not going to be Kyler. We know that. He could be Cam Newton from last year with better throwing efficiency. Unfortunately, I just don't see it for Terod Taylor. Davis Mills is the guy that I would even consider in dynasty leagues to just stash. I liked him a lot out of Stanford. He's just not going to get a chance. But again, Terod Taylor hasn't been able to stay healthy the last three seasons. And you have to say it. You know, the draft capital obviously leans to Baker and Justin Herbert being top six picks. Mm-hmm. But if he goes down, Davis Mills might have an opportunity uh, with obviously a, you know, roughshod team, but might have an opportunity. So Davis Mills is somebody that I'm taking in the fifth round of a dynasty rookie draft. Other than that, though, I'm sticking away from Trod Taylor. I've talked a lot. Give me your thoughts on the quarterback situation there, and then I'll blow through the running backs and pass catchers.
0: Well, the thing about Tyrod that makes him relevant is his rushing ability. And the problem is he's tried not to run as much, which I just feel like is not good for the team. I mean, he's not a great thrower of the football. He's good. He's funny. And listen, when you look at his 2017 season, his top receivers were Deontay Thompson, Zay Jones, Jordan Matthews, Kelvin Benjamin. Like, I'm sorry, but no one's going to play well. With those guys as your receivers. So it's kind of a joke that we sit here and point his one great season, that 2015 year that he was really good. He had Sammy Watkins when he was healthy. After that, it was kind of like Robert Woods was still very young. He hasn't really had much talent. And the interesting thing is the Texans. All right. So I wanted, I take it as a different view. I'm not even concerned about Tyrod Taylor. What I'm interested in is that every single Texans player is being drafted outside the top 40 for their position. So, the question comes is anybody a value? Right. So, I just took a look at just in general what per players produced with Tyrod Taylor. So, 2015, LaShawn McCoy was the RB11, 2016, RB4, and 2017, RB10. So, top 11 finishes every year. So, the ground game has not necessarily suffered with Tyrod Taylor running the show. Wide receiver, Sammy Watkins, wide receiver nine in 2015. Great season. But then 2016, he gets banged up, wide receiver 55. 2017, are you kidding me? Like, just the players. It wasn't even like anybody that – I think it was like 100 or something, like Deontay Thompson. Insane. But Charles Clay was his only consistent average between 7.1 and 7.4 points per game in half-point PPR. Okay, not ideal, but streamable tight end. 2018, Carlos Hyde, RB20 the first two weeks with Tyrod Taylor before they made the switch to Baker halfway through the third game. Landry was the wide receiver 30. So everything so far inside the top 40 for the most part. Austin Eckler, one game in 2020. I know this is nitpick a little bit. Austin Eckler was the RB28 that game. Mike Williams, wide receiver 37. He actually played better than Keenan Allen. Hunter Henry was the tight end 13. So there's going to be – the problem is I think it's an obvious one. I think it's probably Brandon Cooks, but we'll get to him in a second. But overall, I just feel like when I look at Tyrod Taylor, there's going to be someone that comes out of this fantasy relevant. And I think Brandon Cooks seems to be the layup. I think the problem is there's no clear answer on who the guy is. Is it Philip Lindsay at running back, Mark Ingram, David Johnson? Sounds like it's Philip Lindsay early downs, David Johnson late round. But then Mark Ingram's David Cully's boy. Another good thing, though, is David Cully was the QB coach for Tyrod Taylor in 2017 on the Bills. So David Cully at least has seen him play and actually brought him in. So I guess that gives me some confidence that Tyrod might get a little time. But overall, how much if they start one and five, they're gonna go to they gotta go to Davis Mills and just see yeah. what he has. Yeah. It doesn't make sense not to.
1: No, they they have to. And 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 Bobby, look, I and you know how much I love and, and appreciate your deep analysis on these players and what year they played with them. And, yes, somebody will be relevant just because they're going. somebody's got to eat and get the most yeah. carries, get the most catches, whatever. You're never going to draft. Man, I like this guy in the ninth round. I hope he's the wide receiver 37. History tells me somebody with Terod Taylor is going to be the wide receiver 37. It doesn't matter. I mean, again, I'm going to get to Brandon Cooks in a little bit. If I draft Brandon Cooks in the 11th round as my flyer guy, and he's Brandon Cooks of years past, he might blow that ADP out of the water. He yeah. also may end up as the wide receiver 56 because of the situation. And I'm just staying away from that. Let me get into the running backs here. I'll get your, and then we'll dive into Brandon Cooks. So I know everyone wants to hear about Brandon Cooks, but let me get through these running backs here quickly. This is an absolute mess. Okay. David Johnson, yeah. incredible a few years ago with the Cardinals. He has not returned. Decent year last year. Okay, over a thousand total yards and eight touchdowns, but he had less than one yard per route run last year, 0.94 yards per route run last year. Coming into camp, he's the second or third string as of right now. He has accepted he has vocalized to the Texans uh, reporter for the athletic, basically saying, You know, I get it. I'm the old guy and I'm 29. Phillip Lindsay's younger. If he's coming in and I'm going to eat into my workload, I get that being a team guy, which I appreciate. Whatever helps the team win that kind of talk, which look, guys, an incredible clubhouse guy. And if you listen to fantasy footballers, he's been on the show many times. Sounds like an incredible dude for fantasy football, though. The David Johnson we all want is not going to return and I'm staying away from it. A thousand total yards last year, but that was basically in two games. One of them was at the very end of the season in which you couldn't play him anyway. So he might even just be a third down back. Mark Ingram comes in from Baltimore last year. Again, another one of Coley's guys he brings in. And that's cool. Again, it's all about relationships. Brings in Mark Ingram. Okay, Mark Ingram had just 350 total yards over last uh, 11 games last year in Baltimore. We know about J.K. Dobbins. We know Lamar Jackson does his thing, you know, um, on the ground as well. 350 total yards in 11 games for Mark Ingram last year. Now he's lost in this crowded backfield might even be cut. They're talking about in the camp because Rex Burkhead, well, I'm not even going to talk to or talk about is also on this roster. Somebody has got to go. It might be Burkhead. It could be also Mark Ingram as well. Once the 53 uh, man roster comes around here in 2019, Mark Ingram was bolstered by 15 total touchdowns, right? Five receiving 10 rushing, but he still had just 1200 total yards in a prolific Ravens offense. Now we know that 1200 yards is nothing to sneeze at and 15 total touchdowns is phenomenal, but the efficiency of that offense and what they do running the ball strictly before JK Dobbins made the team uh, is just not going to happen again this year. He's now 31 years old. Um, 31 years old. Bobby is what you and I diagnosed a couple weeks back when we did age Mm -hmm. analysis for running backs. It's not 30 It's 31. And I know we're nitpicking by literally six to 12 months on a real calendar, but the idea is we saw an absolute cliff from 29 to 30 with Mark Ingram 31. He could be potentially cut. I don't want anything to do with Mark Ingram. Finally, Philip Lindsay. He's the only one that I might consider late just because he's still young. He's got the upside. We'll see what happens since the start of 2018. Philip Lindsay ranks 10th in rushing yards among all running backs. He's averaged nearly five yards per carry, 4.78 during that time. So as a running back individually, Phillip Lindsay has been phenomenal. Last year, he only played 11 games, unfortunately. He had back-to-back 1,200-plus total yard seasons with at least seven touchdowns in 2018 and 19, of course, coming in as a rookie and unfortunately supplanting my man, Royce Freeman, who has never seen the field since. Even if he's the starter, he's a late-round flyer at best on a bad offense. I don't expect to score a lot. Again, the, the ghost of David Johnson is no longer worth it for me, no matter where he's at. Mark Ingram probably won't even be on the team. I don't want to deal with that. Burkhead's not talk about a bull. And Philip Lindsay. I might take a flyer on late, but when are you going to play him? On a bye week? and an injury? I see you keeping him on your roster for five or six weeks, and then you're going to have some hot shot on the waiver that happens every year. Phillip Lindsey is going to be the guy you're probably going to drop, so why even waste a draft pick on him? Again, I know I'm boo-hoo on this entire episode here, but I'm having a lot of trouble finding the value even deep on draft day for these running backs.
0: I think the biggest problem for – Philip Lindsay is the only guy I would be interested in, but the thing is he split work last year with Melvin Gordon. He averaged 5.7 points per game. He's a a a non-factor in the pass game. He is not a great pass catcher. He's never been a good pass pro. He's a smaller back. He actually got that bad wrist injury a couple of years ago, which prevented him from doing stuff. Um, I and David Johnson will probably be the third down back. He'll probably get the most passing game work. And then, if he's if it's if it's anything like remember, J.K. Dobbins wasn't anything that great until Mark Ingram went away. So, like, there's not even a guarantee Ingram's going to be going away. He might still get those five to seven touches, oh. but he's on a bad offense led by Tyrod Taylor. I'm just when I was breaking it down, McCoy was a workhorse, McCoy got 300 plus touches in those seasons. So that's not going to happen. But the point was there is going to be some value. I think the guy we're going to talk about next is probably the value. But I think, think Phil Lindsay going at RB 49. What if, for example, Mark they realize Mark Ingham's more of like, hey, we'll have you on there, and they start giving him 13, 14 carries a game. Lindsey's got the special talent to get you six points because, you know, what's the touchdown equity? Maybe one every three, four games? I mean, that's why it's just like don't waste your time. Go get somebody with more upside. I agree 100%. Let's talk about Brandon Cooks, guy. Give me what you got.
1: Oh, man. Brandon Cooks is the one that I would be willing to take because his his value at this point has plummeted because mm-hmm. of the uncertainty with Deshaun Watson and then nobody's confident with Terod Taylor slash Davis Mills. And unfortunately, the theme of my half of this episode, I'm not confident either, but he's still Brandon Cooks. Over the last six years with four different quarterbacks, there have been just seven wide receivers who have topped 24, at least five of the last seven seasons. So they've been a top 24 wide receiver in five of the last seven seasons. Listen to these names, Mike Evans, Julio Jones, Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, your boy, Amari Cooper, Jarvis Landry, somehow, and Brandon cooks. That's incredible company. And this again, like Philip Lindsay, and even maybe David Johnson for four games, these guys are incredible talents. Mm-hmm. The situation is what I don't like. Okay. He started with Drew Brees, then he went to Tom Brady, then he went to Jared Goff, went to a Super Bowl. And then last year with Deshaun Watson, he still had 81 catches on 119 targets. So, second uh, most targets of his entire career, 1150 yards, which was the third most he's ever had in his career, and six touchdowns, which is the fourth most he's ever had in his career. So, last year, he was still dominant Brandon Cooks, and you get him. You know, last year, I think it was, what, fifth or sixth round I was drafting him in, and he finishes as an RB or wide receiver, too, with weak winning upside, of course. I think it was Thanksgiving Day that he had a handful of cat. I don't have a pulled up in front of me. He had a handful of catches and uh, went nuts on a couple of deep bombs and some touchdowns. So he still has the talent. Terod Taylor does not tend to force the ball down the field. He also is one of those quarterbacks that if things break down, he wants to run, not scramble. Like, Deshaun Watson is a great running quarterback. We know that. He's also very good at scrambling out of the pocket, looking deep downfield. It was it was DeAndre Hopkins for years. Last year it was Brandon Cooks. And finding that guy 40 yards downfield on a broken play. Mm-hmm. Will Fuller as well. Deshaun is incredible at doing that. Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, whatever. Taylor Taylor's not that guy. If it breaks down, he's going to try to run for a six-yard gain and not get sacked and try again. And Brandon Cooks is just not that possession-style, you know, soak-up-the-targets kind of a guy. Um Again, 84 receptions is his career high. That's just not going to get it done. I don't expect him to have more than five touchdowns this year, maybe a 1,000 yards just because of his deep ball ability, but I don't see that happening. Again, worth a flyer. If you're going to draft a Sean Jackson, <laughs> you might as well draft Brandon Cooks four rounds earlier than that and get more consistency out of him. So I'll take a flyer on him, but unfortunately this isn't about Brandon Cooks. It has nothing to do with him. It's either Trad Taylor or the lack of offense, which I'm expecting – I don't like that. I'll just throw a couple names at you, and I'm not even going to get deep into these guys. Anthony Miller gets finally cut by the Bears. He gets sent over to Houston. He's already injured. Kiki Cutie, been fun for fantasy for about six games of his career. Chris Conley, you mentioned pre-show. Fantastic preseason game one. Three, you know, fine. But are we really counting on Chris Conley? I don't think so. Nico Collins is the rookie out of Michigan. A lot of people are high on Nico Collins. I actually like him as a player a lot. I think he eventually becomes at least the number two this year and next yeah. year, probably the number one when they get rid of Cooks. Nico Collins, I like as a dynasty stash, but again, a redraft, no thank you. And I'm just going to throw Jordan Akins in here because we don't need a tight end segment for this team. Um, you know, again, you know, there's another one out there too. I guess if you want to bring him up later on. Well, the the <laughs> pass catchers, I'm just not excited about in this offense. If there's anybody here, it's Brandon Cooks very late in drafts. But again, I'm probably just going to take another high upside guy instead that I'm more confident in.
0: Well, he's going in the eighth round. He's not even that like
1: late cooks exactly. is going in the eighth. It's for, not for even him, for him. It feels late, but you're right. Yes. In the drafts, yeah. It's not.
0: Yeah. So it's just like, let's do this really quick then. Like let's break this down. Michael Gallup or Brandon cooks Gallup every day. Low oh, Mike, Mike Williams, even as a or Brandon? Third. Mike Williams, Brandon cooks, Mike Williams. I love both. All those right. guys. Yeah. So Jarvis Landry, Brandon cooks.
1: I'll probably take Brandon Cooks just because Brandon Cooks okay. because I believe in Odell this year. All right. So Will Fuller. That one's a tough one. Probably Cooks. I don't believe in Tua yet, and Will Fuller's missing the game at least.
0: Last one, Darnell Mooney.
1: Uh Mooney. I think Justin okay. Fields and Mooney are gonna be insane eventually. Yeah. So you're probably that's right there. So you're bet more of the back of the eighth, but you're you're
0: willing to take him. But there's some guys in the eighth round you're gonna take over him. So good to know. I just want to talk about one guy with the Texans tight ends. Um so it's just something that came up when I was doing a little research it's Farrell Brown. So Farrell Brown last season kind of jumped over. He's been kind of a career journeyman guy, but he's really grabbed the attention of this team. He's also leapfrogged Jordan Akins, Daryl uh Darren Fells is now gone. But here's why he caught my attention. First off, he's 6'6" 260. He's more known as a run blocking tight end. He's a dominant run blocker. So I love the fact when these guys are already known for one thing and if they have pass game chops, they're not going to leave the field. We talk about that a little bit with Adam Trout. Texans retained offensive coordinator Tim Kelly. We did not talk enough about Tim Kelly in this episode. Tim Kelly really showed some things last year with Deshaun Watson. I do like the fact they kept him on. He has a tight ends coach background. The last two seasons, the Texans were 17th and 13th in tight end points per game as a team, so they do utilize the tight end a decent amount. Week 17 last year, Farrell Brown finally started getting some starts. But week 17, five receptions, 48 yards, and a touchdown last year. Kind of reminds me a little bit of the Logan Thomas situation when I talked about this previously, because Logan Thomas started getting a little work with with the Lions. They bring him over, and next thing you know, he starts getting buzz, and he's starting to grow a little bit. Farrell Brown, same concept. Someone that I'm just going to keep an eye on because you just brought up There's nobody at the receiver position that's going to stand out just besides Brandon Cooks. They do have some nice pieces. But finally, Charles Clay was Tyrod Taylor's guy consistently. And Hunter Henry in the one game they played with in 2020, he was the best player on the field for the Chargers. So if that happens again, Tyrod leans on his tight end. Just someone that we should keep an eye on over the next couple weeks and maybe the first two weeks of the preseason.
1: For fantasy purposes, I hope I'm super wrong and I've just been grumpy for no reason for the last 45 minutes unfortunately man doing my research paying attention this Deshaun sean watson thing is just a pain in the ass at this point unfortunately i just don't think there's going to be even the value there on a guy like lindsey a guy like cooks i might take in one draft just in case and if they blow up i'll eat it but i just don't see it happening me neither
0: i'm not taking any Texans, so i agree <laughs> neither
1: all right man you put me on the clock for just a little bit do you have a couple other names you want to do real quick or you want to get out of here
0: Let's get out of here, man. Listen, you gotta go play some base. We gotta watch some baseball. Let's uh, we've given these people an hour's worth of Texan stuff. So I think we've done enough.
1: Well well, how about how about this, Bobby? We will get out of here. Before we do that, though, I want you to rep expand the box score for this reason alone. For this reason alone. I want a listener to go into expand the box score. You're gonna give all the deets in a second. Give me one reason I should draft any Houston Texans. If I agree with you, I'll get you into a Listener League for free. How about that?
0: Oh, look at that. Sky delivering for us right now. So listen up. Skip, expandtheboxscore.com is one of the sites we write for. This is just a new way to kind of expand your game, no pun intended, in the fantasy football realm. If you've been someone that's been just basic stats and you're looking for your first dip your toe into advanced stats, do it with Expand the box Score. Not only are you getting things like contested catch rate, routes, run, broken tackles. These are some things you t- typically don't get on your basic sites. This package is only $25 for something like PFF. It's $200 a year sports info Solutions $750 a year, but expand the box score gives you something that's fantastic, simple to read all the fantasy leaderboards, red zone stats, but also a plot tool. If you want to get really in depth on certain things. So the best part about it is if you use the promo code TCK, you get $5 off and a four-day free trial. So after four days, if you don't love it, the best part, too, is you get your money back. No questions asked. So please make sure you're checking this out. Do the free trial. I mean, like, what's the worst that can happen? Check it out. Use that promo TCK and get take take your game to the next level with
1: expandtheboxbar.com. Absolutely. I want to give a shout-out to our other sponsors, of course, Bomb Banana Hot Sauce, Seekthespice.com, and Jersey Jungle. DM them on Instagram for your authentic jerseys at the Jersey Jungle. This episode and all TTK episodes have been brought to you by Bet Online, Bet Online AG, or the mobile app. Betonline, your online sports betting experts. Bobby, this is a tough one, man. I got through it though. You 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 heard me kind of boo-hoo and get you know grumpify my way through the Texans, but we're through with that. We are done with the AFC South. You and I are going to get into our studs, duds, breakouts, sleepers. Those are the fun episodes. I'm excited for that one coming up. And then we have our final division, the NFC South. We got some heavy hitters in that one. I'm very excited about that. Stick around. We got more from the TCK, and we got a special announcement for you coming up this weekend. Stay tuned right here to the TCK pod for my man, Bobby Lamarco. I'm your host, Sky Guasco. Episode 433 in the books. Don't draft any Texans.